This morning we're finishing up our sermon series that we started some seven weeks ago called Expecting Different Results. The idea is that we are making a a New Year's resolution that we hope our faith will be deeper, that our discipleship will be stronger by this time next year. And we've been talking about different practices over the past few weeks that we can do to try to deepen our faith and and make our discipleship stronger. We've talked about reading Scripture and, and praying daily. We've talked about having healthy, strong relationships. We've talked about taking leaps of faith and even not wasting time. We're going to finish that sermon series today with this strange passage from the book of Acts chapter 10 and this was one of my favorite passages though and so I'm happy to share this with you but before I read that passage to you I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God we come to you now with open hearts hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. This is found on page 894 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he overheard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times, and then the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had, suddenly the men sent from Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask where Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up and go down. Go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hammock's Trading Company was my favorite restaurant when I lived in Atlanta. It was not too far from our or my apartment. It was on Roswell Road, a little bit south of Roswell, a little bit north of Sandy Springs, and it was a seafood restaurant. And even though Atlanta is 250 miles from the coast, it seemed like they just always had the best, most freshest seafood that you can imagine. They had all kinds of seafood, everything that you all might like. Fresh fish, of course, 
but also things like shrimp and, and oysters like we like here on the Gulf Coast and scallops and mussels, all kinds of wonderful things. And we would try to go as, as often as we can, sometime once a month or so. But there was one dish that I loved more than all the others. It was these bacon-wrapped scallops. Boy, they were good. I don't know how they prepared them, but there was a lot of garlic and butter involved. They just melted in your mouth. Man, they were good. We would walk in the door and I would speak to the hostess and I would say, my wife needs a menu and I need the bacon-wrapped scallops. Just bring them right to our table. I loved them. They just melted in your mouth. But then one day, believe it or not, they changed the menu. We walked in, I ordered the scallops, and they brought me scallops, but they didn't have the little bit of bacon wrapped around them. They were good, but they just weren't the same. I couldn't believe that they had changed the menu. After all, this was a very popular restaurant. Lots of people came to this restaurant. There was no reason to change the menu. They took that bacon away, and, and something was different. Now, I've watched a lot of you on our summer Sunday breakfasts, and I know that you like bacon, too. Bacon is a food that can take a, a really good food and turn it into a great food. Or it can take an inedible food like Brussels sprouts and turn it into an edible food. Bacon has some sort of powerful capabilities like that. Believe it or not, Julianne was up in Atlanta just a couple of weeks ago and she came back and reported to me that Hammock's Trading Company has closed down. I wonder if it was a coincidence. But I've been thinking about that restaurant a lot, especially this week while I was working on this sermon, because a lot of the foods at that restaurant, my favorite restaurant in Atlanta, were actually prohibited by the Jewish law. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 11, you'll see there are lots of different foods, those that are permissible and also those are, that are prohibited by Jewish law. And things like shellfish, like oysters and shrimp and mussels and scallops, things like that that we like here along the Gulf Coast, all of those things were prohibited. And of course, things like ham and bacon were prohibited as well. So that meant that a lot of Jewish people, including the Jewish people in our story this morning, people like Peter, people like the disciples, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, even Jesus Christ may have never tasted these sorts of things because they were prohibited by the law. It makes me wonder, why is it that now, many years later, we as Christians can eat these things totally guilt-free without worrying about the, the Jewish law and that Jewish tradition? Well, I have to believe some of it, at least, stems from the passage that I just read to you from the book of Acts. This strange passage of, of Peter in the city of Joppa. He is praying, sort of in a trance. All of a sudden, he sees this incredible vision. This big sheet comes down out of heaven, and, and on that sheet, almost like a picnic blanket, he sees all of these different animals, birds, reptiles, maybe some shellfish on there too. And while he sees them, he hears this voice that says, Peter, take these things and eat them. And just like that, what was once prohibited is now permissible. And that's good news. We could... Stop the sermon now. We could all go to brunch and go eat our favorite foods and, and do so guilt-free. But like the most passages in the Bible, there's a lot more to this one than that. 
It's not just about food. It's a lot more dangerous than that. Because you see, this isn't just about bacon. It's not about oysters. It's not about the food we eat. This passage is all about change. It's all about change. Changing things that we're used to. Changing things that we love. Changing things that are a part of who we are. These laws and these customs that the Jewish people in our Bible and many of our Jewish brothers and sisters still adhere to were not just things about food, about staying healthy, but these were the ways that the people of God showed to the world who they were. These were the ways that the people of God showed that they were trying to be faithful to God and that they belonged to God. The food that they ate, the clothes that they wear, the way they wore their hair, and even things like not working on the Sabbath. These were important things, traditions and values that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. These weren't easy things for them to change. That's why Peter in our passage this morning, he protests. He says, no, no, I can't eat those things. God, go back and read Leviticus chapter 11. I'm not supposed to eat those things. And the voice says, no, what I have proclaimed as clean, you should not call unclean. Change is hard. Especially when it's things like that that give us our identity, that give us our security, that help us know who we are and whose we are. Let's make it a little more personal. Just for imagine for a moment, think about the things that makes Faith Presbyterian Church Faith Presbyterian Church. You might think of our wonderful location here at Meridian and John Knox, all our beautiful pine trees and all the wonderful things that have happened at this location for so many years. You might think about our preschool, which is our longest running ministry here that has served so many people here. You might think about our wonderful worship services and our beautiful music that our choir prepares every week. You might think of pumpkins, something along those lines. You might think of our mission projects like Manna on Meridian. You might think of all the things that we have done and all the ways that we have tried to be faithful to God over the years. Or maybe it's more personal for you than that. Maybe you think about the pew where you come and sit every single week. It's like your assigned seat. You know that's where you belong. When you come and you sit down in that spot and you sing your favorite hymns, you know this is your home. You belong here. And now imagine God came and said, it's time to change that. Gets pretty dangerous pretty quick, doesn't it? Because we don't like to change those things. We don't like to change things that give us our identity, that give us our security, that keep us centered and, and tell us who we are, that make us feel comfortable. That's why Peter protests at first. And I dare say, there's no reason to change those things if there's no reason to change those things. We shouldn't just change for change's sake. There has to be some reason why Peter would have been called to change this tradition, this value that had been passed down for so many years. And fortunately, we can see that reason right here in our passage. The reason Peter was called to change was because Cornelius was coming. Or better yet, Cornelius' friends were coming to find Peter and invite Peter to have dinner with them. You see, Cornelius and his friends were Gentiles. 
And they didn't know any of those traditions. They didn't know about any of those foods. All of those things might as well have been a foreign language to them. But all they wanted to know about was the grace and love of God. They wanted to know about this God that Peter loved so much. And so God said, don't let those things get in the way. Go and share the love of God with those Gentiles. Now it takes courage to make changes like that. Don't get me wrong. It takes courage to say, okay, all of those things that I have valued for so long, I'm going to put them to the side so that I can preach the gospel and share the love of Christ with someone else. But that happens time and again in our Scripture. In fact, Jesus Christ did exactly that for us. Think back to Scripture, that day when Jesus on that Sabbath day went into the synagogue and there was the man with the withered hand and and, in the synagogue and the law said that, that you can't do any kind of work on the Sabbath, but the compassion of Jesus said, no, I can't let this continue. And He asked that man to stretch out His hand, ignoring the tradition and the law that had been there for so long. Or that time when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount and all the people remembered the law that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The law had been the same for so long, but he said it's time for a change. Or even Jesus himself, if you go and read Philippians chapter 2, he had all the power in the universe. He could have done anything he wanted to do, but Paul tells us, He emptied himself, set all that power to the side, set himself to the side, made a change, suffered and died, and made room for you and me. It's hard to make changes, but we know we are called to change when it allows us to share the gospel with other people. Just think of how many people have come to churches all over this world and because those churches weren't willing to make changes, well, they didn't come to church. Just think of how many people who are despised and rejected out there in the world found that same rejection here in the church and so they never knew the love of God. All because the church was not willing to have the courage to change. But when that's our chance, that's our goal, to share the loving loving grace of God with people in the world, then we should have that courage to move ourselves to the side, to rearrange the chairs around the table and make room for other people. One of my favorite stories that I told you six years ago when I first started working here was a story about my Uncle Vern. You all remember my Uncle Vern was a senator in South Carolina, but uh, long before that, he owned a tire business right in the middle of Greer. Right next door to his tire business was the bus stop in Greer, South Carolina. And every now and then, several times a day, a bus would come into Greer, and they would stop there for about 30 minutes or so so the passengers could get off and walk around and, and stretch their legs and use the restroom, too. There was just one problem. All the restrooms at the bus stop there were whites only in the 50s and the 60s. 
And so those black passengers who got off the back of the bus had to scramble around and try to find a place to use the bathroom and then get back on the bus before it left them behind. Finally, my Uncle Vern decided he needed to do something about this, and so he let those black people come into his business, his tire business, and and let them use his restrooms there, his restrooms that had no labels on the doors. Well, as things go, as gossip happens, the word about this caught wings and flew all around the city of Greer, and people started coming to my Uncle Vern and said, I I hear about what you're doing. I want you to know I know your heart means well, but this is the law. You can't do that. I hear what you're doing, Vern. I know you have the best intentions, but this is the law. This can't be done. Even customers came to him and said, This is the law. I can't associate with someone who's going to break the law. If you keep doing this, I won't be able to be your customer anymore. And my Uncle Vern, who has a lot more courage than his great-nephew does, simply replied, I'll make it without you. And in that moment, he moved himself from the center to share grace and love with people who were despised and rejected. He moved himself from the center because what was supposed to be center was the grace and love of God. Don't get me wrong, I know that takes courage. People like me, we like to be front and center. We don't like it when we have to move to the sides or to the back. We don't like it when we have to disrupt all the things that give us our identity, that give us our our meaning. When we make changes like that, it throws us into chaos, throws us into flux. But what happens truly in those moments is not only do we change the lives for other people, but our identity is found in something new. Not in those laws and those customs and those traditions. Our identity is found in sharing the love of God. What better way to be identified? That's Faith Presbyterian Church. I know it's them. Look at how they love. Look at how they're kind to others. Look at how they draw people in by sharing with others how much God loves us and has done for us. Just by having the courage to move to change, we welcome others to the table. That would be a pretty good New Year's resolution. To change ourselves so that others have space at God's table. We've been working on that, as I said. We've been working on ways that we can change ourselves, change our faith, deepen our faith, but in doing so, what we're really hoping to do is transform the world. By keeping this resolution that God's love is for all. Some of you know the column Dear Abby. I think I shared this with you a couple of years ago. Dear Abby, around this time of year, always writes a few New Year's resolutions to share with people. Some of those New Year's resolutions are things about how we can have better habits, how we can quit smoking, all those kind of things. And every now and then she shares some ideas about how you can keep those resolutions. But one year not too long ago, she decided instead of New Year's resolutions, she would just share the prayer from St. Francis of Assisi. She said that was a pretty good New Year's resolution. 
I want to share that prayer with you, and I want to see if you can hear how St. Francis calls us to move from the center to welcome other people in. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so, so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to new life. Don't get me wrong, it's hard to change. It's hard to move ourselves from the center. It's hard to change laws. It's hard even to change menus. But when we do such things, we profess our faith that the gospel of the Lord can make room for anyone. After all, it made room for us a long time ago. And that's the good thing about God's holy table. This table of God made room for us and there's plenty room left. Thanks be to God. Amen.